Evening, everyone. Tonight's second Bible reading is taken from Revelation chapter 4 and 5, and that can be found on page 1030 in the Bibles. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, which one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings, and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like a lion, the second living creature, like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature, like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And when I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you, are, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, 
Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessings. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessings and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This is the word of the Lord. You'd notice that the second one that we sang there, or rather the third one, speaks of the lion and the lamb. Our God is uh, a lion. He's the lion of Judah. He's roaring with power. He's fighting our battles. Every knee will bow before him. Our God is the lamb, the lamb that was slain for the sin of the world. His blood breaks the chains, and every knee will bow before him, before the lion and the lamb. Every knee will bow before him. Um, That is, in some way, the message that we see um, in Revelation. Um, It is, in some way, the message that we're going to just grapple with um, as we continue with this series, uh, which is titled Going Through the Most. Uh, If you were not here with us last week, uh, that's what we are looking at. It's a series in um, Revelation, uh, just looking at our current state and, and some of the things that we're going through. Uh, we wanted to get a great uh, picture of who God is, and no other book in the Bible does that for us like Revelation does. It gives us picture images of who God is. It opens up heaven to us um, to show us the majesty of Jesus um, and of God uh, so that we can make sense um, of, of the world that we live in. Remember last week we said, uh, this commentator said, that the goal of Revelation is to bring encouragement to the believers of all ages that God is working out his purposes even in, even in the midst of tragedy, suffering, and apparent satanic domination. Uh, in other words, as John was penning this, as he was seeing these visions, uh, what he had in mind was Christians who were uh, going through difficulties, who were going through the most, uh, and he wants them to understand who God is and what his purposes are. He wants them uh, to be, find encouragement uh, in that situation. If you have your Bible, please uh, keep it open to Revelation. Uh, listen to chapter 1, verses 3. It says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written uh, in it, for the time is near. So John uh, sets out his purpose for writing this book. He wants those who read to be blessed, um, to be uh, encouraged, um, and to remember that God is in charge, God is in control. Um, one of the things I also like about Revelation is that it gives us kind of a clue of how to read the Bible. Whenever you encounter scripture, we should never think of it as some book that was written um, there that we just kind of, boom, I used to read the Bible like that. Um, and you, you think to yourself, what does God have to say to me today? Well, it doesn't work like that. Um, God uh, wrote these things not to us, but for us. Uh, he didn't write them directly to us, but he wrote them for us. Um, he wrote them not in a vacuum. Um, so in other words, we're not told that God is sitting on the throne that is majestic just so that we can know that. No, these Christians are going through difficulties, and that's why they need to know that God is on the throne. And I think as we read the Bible, we need to always understand uh, that, that, that very fact. Why does John, why does God want these particular believers to understand that God is majestic uh, before we begin to understand how it may apply um, to us? Uh, a very 
famous uh, lecturer on preaching by the name of Brian Chappell, he calls this the fallen condition focus of a text. In other words, any scripture that you come into, any scripture that you read, is addressing a fallen condition in every human being. Um, in other words, as you encounter it, as you encounter a scripture that teaches you, like Ephesians, about the love of God, it means that there's something lurking in you as a Christian um, that doesn't understand fully the love of God. Uh, that you need at that point, as you struggle with sin, as you struggle with living in Ephesus, uh, in the case of Ephesians, uh, you need to understand something about the love of God that's going to enable you to live the Christian life. Why? Because somehow in your fallen condition, uh, we, you, you and I do not totally grasp the love of God. Uh, so anytime it teaches uh, believers that God loves them, it has to be that something is happening in their life that's making them not understand fully uh, the love of God for them. So anytime we approach a passage of Scripture, we think, what is the fallen condition focus of this text? What is God trying to teach these believers who lived um, back in the day? What was he trying to teach them then? And how does us living in 2020... Um, how would we um, be able to uh, grasp that? In other words, what do we share in common with those believers? Uh, so again, as we read Revelation, it doesn't have necessarily the answers um, about living in a COVID world, uh, but it is addressing a fallen condition focus, um, something that you and I lack to grasp fully about the majesty uh, of who God is. So as you read it, do not get boggled down on, especially with Revelation, on some of the details, right? So we will look at those details, we will try to explain them, but I spent most of this week reading and it's like, the, it's endless as to what this image means and Old Testament passages, that's why we read um, Ezekiel, uh, and I hope you saw some of the similarities between Ezekiel and us are passage this evening. There's similarities, there's differences. It goes on and on and on. Your homework for this week is to just go read through Revelation and see what, what are some of the things that are similar in Ezekiel um, chapter 1 and 2, um, in Isaiah chapter 6, in Daniel chapter 7, uh, and Revelation chapter 4 and 5 because we don't have time to go through all those details. But we need not be bothered and boggled down by the details. We need to pick out the, the main message of what the text um, is saying. So that's what we're going to try today. We're going to cover a lot of ground. Um, we're going to say, uh, uh, I hope you are with me. I'm going to shout amen if I feel you sleeping. If we were at another church, we would say to you, you have a demon if you sleep while the pastor is preaching, not because uh, they're boring or anything like that, because you, you're the problem. You're not listening. Barcelona, amen. amen. So there's about eight pictures that we're going to look at, and Reggie, you'd be thankful that Reggie's going to be preaching next to you. He preaches with fire, um, and he's, um, he's, he's got way more fire than I, I do, uh, and we're hoping to look at uh, eight different pictures that build on top of each other. Uh, so there's one unifying uh, message uh, of Revelation, and those different pictures build on one another. They teach us 
uh, how to appraise, approach God, how to think about God, uh, whatever we're going through. But not only that, um, how do we react and how do we respond um, to this God? Uh, so I hope you have your bearings as to where we are. I'm just going to pray for us, and then we're going to get into chapter 4 and then chapter 5. Uh, Father, thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you that you speak. I thank you that um, we can hear your word. Father, wherever your word is preached, I pray that you would bring revival, that the, the, the sleeping Christian will be awakened, uh, that their desire for you will burn into flame, um, that, Father, you uh, would work in our hearts um, and in the church uh, worldwide, that it would uh, go back to its first love and to embrace Jesus and make an impact in this world. Even as Reggie prayed, Father, we look at our world and we cry, how long, Lord, how long till you uh, bring all the pain and the suffering to an end? Um, we live in this tension of goodness. Uh, we experience your goodness on the one hand, uh, but on the other we experience in the frustration of living in this world. So I do pray that you would um, illumine our minds and our hearts, that you would um, uh, open up to us uh, the mystery of your word, and that we uh, would in turn live such radical lives for you. This we pray in your name. Amen. Um, so on the 16th of September, you might uh, remember uh, our president, Cyril Ramaphosa, uh, was delivering um, a message to, to inform the country, fellow South Africans, we are going into level one. Uh, many of us had been longing for that, um, but you could see, as we could all see uh, throughout the year, that he's been tired. Uh, he's been uh, that guy who had to deliver uh, not so popular news. Uh, and one of the things that he said... Um, because there's not a lot of positive things to think about. Uh, he asked the country uh, to celebrate uh, the 24th of September, our Heritage Day, by dancing to the Jerusalem um, challenge. He said, I urge everyone to use this public holiday as a family time to reflect on the difficult journey we've all traveled, to remember those who lost their lives, and to, and to quietly rejoice in a remarkable and diverse heritage of our nation. And there can be no uh, better celebration of our South Africanness than joining the global phenomenon that is the Jerusalem Dance Challenge. So I urge all of you to take up this challenge on Heritage Day and to show the world what we're capable of. Just as we have acted together to defeat this virus, we must roll up our sleeves and get to work rebuilding our economy. Those were words of encouragement um, through a pandemic um, to Point us back to this amazing song. Is it amazing? I didn't think that. Um, it's, it's blown all over the world. So clearly over a hundred million people uh, think that it's phenomenal. The, the dance is awesome. Uh, the Ghana military was doing it. Even a cathedral in France was dancing to this song. Um, songs are powerful, aren't they? Uh, songs uh, are powerful, especially in difficult moments where you don't know what to do, uh, you sing uh, songs. They bring about comfort and a hope uh, for better days. So they are almost like prayers for, for better days. Um, you'd remember, for those of us who were in the struggle, uh, we were chanting. Uh, <laughs> I was never in the struggle. I was in Rustenburg. Uh, we were fine there. Um, but um, you'd remember that the struggle songs were songs of courage, 
um, songs of praying for better days. And as we uh, work our way through the text, if you have an ESV Bible, I hope it will have um, those stanzas, um, those little... What's a stanza? I'm failing to explain it. But those um, little codes, or it looks like codes, and those are little hymns uh, that these creatures in heaven sing, um, and, uh, and John puts them down there uh, as songs for these Christians who will be reading this um, to find encouragement in a very difficult time. Uh, so they are the Jerusalem uh, challenge. And the whole of the heavenly hosts um, are dancing and singing to uh, these songs. And so as we look at the pictures, I want us to focus specifically on those songs and what those songs um, teach us about uh, who God is. Uh, so I want us uh, to divide our text by firstly focusing on chapter 4. And then, so that's the first look at the throne. So remember, we're building up from last week the picture of God on the throne. We're still there. Uh, and we want to take a look at the throne and then uh, take another look at the throne uh, in chapter 5. So um, first um, part, we're going to be looking at chapter 4, and then we're going to look uh, at chapter 5. And we're going to ask ourselves this question, what is the fallen condition focus of, of this text for us? Um, in other words... What is God um, trying to teach us um, about uh, who he is and why do we need to hear it in 2020? And I'm going to leave it to you to kind of ponder that um, as it applies to your, um, your own life. So the first point, a look at uh, the throne, a first look at the throne. Um, still have your Bibles. If you have them, shout amen. You don't, you mustn't be afraid to talk to me. Chapter 4 of Revelation, let's read uh, verses 1 and 2. After this, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. Uh, every time John says after this, he's transitioning. Uh, he's giving us uh, a structure, scene upon scene. Uh, so we move into a different scene and he sees a door open. Again, that's uh, a picture into God's space, which is heaven. Uh, heaven is the place where God is in Hebrew thinking. Uh, so we uh, see an open door um, into a glimpse into, um, into heaven. And the, um, the door opened and the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold, Again, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Again, we see this picture of somebody sitting on, um, on a throne. Uh, and then, because we don't have time, John goes on to explain this uh, phenomenal picture of heaven. And if you investigate some of the picture that he uses, those are Old Testament pictures again uh, of um, each time God appears. Uh, some of them are pictures of uh, Mount Sinai, where God appeared. So we see all these things happening uh, in heaven. Verse 4, around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders. We don't know the nature of uh, those elders, who were they, um, but we see here that um, John says that they were clothed in white garments. Uh, and in Revelation, white garments are normally worn by the saints, uh, they are a picture of those who have been purified. So perhaps it's, um, it is the saints that he's speaking about, but anyway, we don't know. There are thrones around, um, around the throne 
uh, of God. 24 of them uh, with these uh, elders who are wearing white garments and who are wearing crowns, uh, crowns which are not a picture of being kings, but they are a picture of being vict- victors. So they've been uh, to war and they've conquered. Um, that's the, the crown. I normally don't use Greek or whatever in a sermon because um, I don't know why people do that. But the, 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 the picture here is Stephanos, which was um, a Greek, uh, uh, you know those things that they wear, those leaves looking like thing they were in the Olympics. So it's a picture of someone who's gone through hash time, perhaps ran a marathon and gets this crown uh, as a crown of victory. So perhaps he's speaking about the saints uh, who uh, have gone before us uh, around uh, the throne. Have a look at uh, verse 6b. And around the throne, on each of the, th- of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in the front and behind, uh, that's normally a picture of uh, this creature see everything uh, and, and, and can see uh, everything around um, the, the throne and around God's creation. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight, and the fourth living creature, the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and all day, night, and night, they never cease to say, we'll get to that. Um, I'm sure you're wondering, what in the world are these creatures? Um, And again, we need to remember that Revelation is not written to you, so you're not uh, supposed to go and think, shucks, what might look like this? Uh, The the picture that looks like um, the head of a human, uh, and then it looks like an ox, that's maybe black newborn, because um, he looks like... Um, so you're not allowed, you're not supposed to be doing that. You need to remember that the Bible is rooted in culture. Uh, and as we had that reading before from Ezekiel, you'll see the pictures there are quite similar, aren't they? Um, this picture of these creatures that are majestic, and they don't look like anything that we've uh, ever seen before. Um, But what we do know, we don't know a lot about what these creatures are. We do know that uh, they look like or resemble uh, ancient Near East uh, statues. So if you Google that right now on your phone, a sphinx, um, or like you see that Egyptian thing uh, with wings, uh, those were uh, built up in the olden days, and they would make and build those massive statues uh, that would uh, stand in front of um, temples, ancient Near Eastern temples. Uh, you'll see that in the, um, in the story of the building of the temple, there are cherubim that stand uh, to protect the entrance into the temple. Cherubim simply means the ones with wings that stand to protect entrance into the temple. And so the temples were believed to be God's place here on earth, that is where you went to meet God. It was a physical uh, place where uh, the the heavens, God's space, and our space interacted and overlapped. Are you guys still with me? I'm not boring, you just are not uh, (laughs) spiritual enough. Um, So I hope you're following. Um, The imagery is not so important. Uh, We perhaps know that this is rooted in the Old Testament. So it's pictures that they would have used and understood um, about God and uh, how to access him 
Um, so it's just a picture, an old picture of saying um, God was there and these this creatures were around him. But let's not focus on that. Let's focus on verse 8. Have a look at what it says. Holy, holy, the scriptures say, is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This picture of a holy God is what we are meant to, um, to see. If you go back to Isaiah chapter 6, you'll hear the similar kind of language that's being used as the people of God are going through difficulty as they are about to be ripped into um, exile. Uh, this is the picture of God that they see. And the, 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 the creatures there in Isaiah 6, they fly and shout out, Holy, holy uh, is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah stands before these creatures and says, Man, who am I? that I can stand in front of this God. This God is holy, and I'm sinful. I cannot stand before uh, this holy God. So that's the picture. As we look at the first uh, picture of the throne, we see this holy and majestic and almighty God uh, standing uh, before um, the throne. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast out their crowns before him, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Um, if you're still following, notice that picture of holiness. Uh, and now we get another hymn that's describing God once, once more. And not only is this um, imagery and language from the Old Testament, um, uh, as you, if you read uh, some of the commentaries, they point us to the fact that some of the, the presidents, the Caesars, um, during the time of uh, the, when the New Testament was written. Uh, in fact, the guy who comes uh, after Emperor Nero, he calls himself, he uses similar words to describe himself, that he is both Lord and God. Um, so uh, as we look at the throne, think of these Christians living with somebody who has their um, knee on their neck, uh, that picture of oppression, um, the emperor is oppressing them. Everywhere they walk around, they see statues of the emperor, of, the, of, of, of Caesar. Uh, if they want to buy bread, uh, the coins would have his face on there. So it was clear to them who was in charge and who was Lord. Uh, it was clear to them that, man, perhaps um, this Caesar guy has more power than God. Um, so think about that picture um, and as you read this, um, this um, picture that John gives them, they would have been invoked uh, to think about this holy God. That in fact, Caesar is not in charge, but God is in charge. God is the one who is seated on the throne. God is the one who is our Lord and God, not Caesar. Uh, so Israel's God is in charge. Let's have a look at the second picture of the, 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 the throne. Then, chapter 5, I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Every time the number seven comes up, it just simply means perfection. Um, so it was perfectly sealed. 
you'll remember if you've seen in the movies, uh, they would have a scroll um, and they would pour a candle uh, and then seal it either with a signet ring um, to make sure that the message is delivered. Um, and the, the seal was never broken until um, the message and the content of the message uh, were received by the recipient. Um, so this scroll that this one who seated on the throne has is sealed to perfection. Um, have a look at verse 2. And I saw a mighty angel proclaim with, with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Uh, they sent out a CV and they were looking for one who was worthy, who was capable um, of uh, making open or making known uh, what was written on that scroll. And as you continue to read Revelation, you'll notice that the scroll is the judgment and the wrath of God over the nations. So no one is worthy to bring that uh, to fruition, to fulfillment. And they began to weep loudly because there was no one who's found who was worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And the one, of the, one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. If you're still confused, it is simply this. Um, they were simply looking for the one who will bring about to completion the plans of God, who will roll out God's plan to transform the world as we know it. Nobody was found worthy uh, because all um, are unworthy and incapable. Un- but notice the picture of verse 5. What does that invoke? Um, again, another homework. Go read Genesis chapter 50 and what it says about Judah. But basically we get a picture of this Israelite king uh, who is worthy, who comes from the line of David, who can come open this scroll. Verse 6, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, uh, which are the seven spirits of God. Reggie will explain the seven spirits um, of God. But are you now beginning to see the second um, Look at the throne. We're beginning to see a picture of one on the one hand, as this song that we sang uh, was saying. On the one hand, we see a lion. What is what picture does a lion bring to us? You, you can talk to me. Majesty, power, uh, king of the jungle. You all know that song, Lion of Judah. It is a picture of ultimate power. Um, so that's what we see. But then, it's like it's confusing. On the one hand, we see a lion, and then we're seeing a lamb. What's happening there? Um, And this lamb, you see, has perfect vision uh, and perfect horns. Horns are a picture of power. Um, So it is a lamb, but it looks like it was slain. I don't know about you. If you grew up in a, um, a place where you've seen lambs, they don't look that impressive. Um, they're just there for the meat, aren't they? Um, they're just there to be slaughtered. Even, and even when it's slaughtered, a lamb never puts up a fight. It just lies there, um, and then they cut its throat. It never makes a sound. In fact, so much so that the Tswana 
uh, culture, they believe that if it makes any sound, then it's a bad omen. Because it, it never happens uh, that a lamb retaliates. Uh, so on the one hand, we see this picture of majesty, a lion. And then on, on the other hand, we see a picture of not only a lamb that is meek, um, but it also has seven horns, which means it has power. But it's also, it also looks like it was slain. Uh, we'll see as we read on uh, what, that, um, what that picture is. And he went and took the scroll, uh, so he's the one who's going to fulfill the plans of God from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down uh, before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And listen to this hit single. Um, they sing a new song, a new kind of song. Um, the two other songs were songs of holiness and God's work in creation. If you look at verse 11, it's about you are worthy because you created everything. But now we see a different picture. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Uh, in other words, this lamb is worthy um, to bring about God's plans to fruition. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and nation and language and people, um, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Think about this, you are a Christian, you are being persecuted, and you hear and you see this picture of a king from the line of David who is destroyed. Um, you would have known by this time that Jesus was crucified on the cross. It was a picture of weakness. It was a picture that Caesar is Lord and Jesus is not. Uh, because had he been Lord, he would have conquered him with his mighty army. But notice what uh, this lamb has achieved. He's ransomed people from all different um, groups of uh, people from all tribes and nations, and he's made them a kingdom uh, and a priest, uh, in other words, those who serve before, uh, before God, and they shall reign where? On, in heaven? No, on earth they shall reign. Imagine being given this picture that one day you, together with this lamb, whoever he is, you will be in charge. You will be ruling uh, together with him. Then I looked and I had around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriad, that's uh, 10,000 uh, upon 10,000. Uh, um, they didn't have a language for like millions upon millions. All they had was up to 10,000. I think even in Sotswana, um, it's like Dikete, and, and that's it. Like, we don't have a, a language uh, for, for, for millions and millions of, of things. Uh, what is it in Chivenda? Chigitina, uh, Chigiti. Just a lot of stuff. A lot of, um, um, a myriad and myriad and thousand upon thousands, um, living creatures and elders. So you see this picture of a massive crowd of heavenly beings uh, and of, Thousands and thousands of people saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. I don't know if you've ever been to a stadium before. Um, a stadium, either a rugby match that is packed or uh, the last really packed uh, match I went to was the 
uh, the final uh, of the African Cup of Nations. Is it African Cup of Nations? It was Nigeria versus the country that lost. I don't remember them. Um, but the, the, the shout of thousands of thousands of people screaming for a goal. Like it's chilling. It's a chilling sound. And that's what we see here. Uh, people across um, and, 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 and heavenly beings cheering and with a loud voice uh, saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worshipping this King Jesus, this king from the tribe of, of Judah, this root of David who looks weak, um, who looks like a lamb that is slain, um, but he brings about um, God's kingdom. He establishes God's kingdom uh, through sacrifice. Uh, unlike other kings, he doesn't rally up his military tro- troops uh, to destroy. Um, he dies a death on the cross, and that's the picture that John would leave to these uh, Christians. And you should be asking yourself a question: Why would you um, give pic- uh, these people a picture of a slain lamb? Surely that's weak. Uh, surely that's a sign of defeat. No, one commentator says that uh, Jesus is portrayed as the lion, who is the conquering lamb, who is the slain lamb, who is the center of the throne, and God Himself. Notice that um, the, 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 the honor that is ascribed to chapter, five, uh, chapter 4 to God is ascribed to Jesus, um, this lamb. Um, we need to remember uh, that the greatest picture of God on the throne, of God in control, is God on a cross. It is a sacrificed um, lamb on a cross. Um, that he comes to power through sacrifice. And I guess, again, the question, why would you need to hear that as a Christian going through a struggle? Um, well, this was um, a picture of not only that Jesus has conquered sin, um, but a picture of what would happen uh, in the future. As Jesus deals once and for all with our sin, um, as Jesus deals once and for all with the powers of evil, as he disarms them, of their power over us uh, through his cross. As he dies for your sin and for my sin, um, to make this world a better place and to show us what it means to be truly human, this Jesus. And as those Christians uh, were reading it, I'm sure they not only saw this God who was victorious, but they saw a God who cares about them because he himself has gone through pain. He himself knows what pain looks like. And God doesn't, never, he never does. He never minimizes our pain. He never minimizes our frustrations. Uh, but he gives us resources. He gives us himself, a picture of him on the cross, um, to be able to deal with anything that life would throw at us. Uh, whether it's our own sin and the struggle and the frustration with just living with sin and in a sinful world, um, or it's just the struggle of facing sinfulness as it comes to you from our world. How many of you believe that your world is sinful? As you go into your office space, as you read the news this week, it is a broken world and a sinful world. Um, But Jesus, God on the cross, gives us a picture uh, that would um, help us in our time uh, of trying to make sense of this world. 
Um, Tim Keller says Christianity doesn't provide us uh, f- uh, the reason for each experience of pain, but it does provide deep resources for actually facing suffering with hope and courage rather than with bitterness and despair. As we look at our world and think, man, the world is unfair, <laughs> John gives us a picture of a slain lamb, um, of a God who dies on a cross, uh, who gains majesty uh, through um, sacrifice. And I've, I'm sure you've heard me say this quote before. It is by John Stott, uh, and it is, I think, by far my most favorite, favorite quote. But I'll just quote the last part, um, the first part, um, and then the last. He says, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. And he goes on to say that he's gone through many temples in Asia, and he's seen and looked at those statues um, that are smiling, uh, and they detach from the agonies of the world. But every now and again, he's had to turn back his imagination and see this slain lamb on a cross, this tortured figure on the cross, that is Jesus. That Jesus, uh, who is the fullness of our God, he laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood. That is the God that we serve. Um, flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. Our sufferings become more manageable in light of his. And he continues to say that there's still a question mark against human suffering. Uh, so we still wonder and we still hope uh, that God would bring an end to it. There's still a question, we still left with so many questions. But over it, we boldly stamp another mark the cross that symbolizes divine suffering. And then he goes on to quote this um, little poem by a, by a guy called Edward Sheesh. I don't know, I can't pronounce his surname. He's an English guy. Edward something. This guy was a soldier during the First World War, um, but he was also a minister of the gospel. This is when they used to make ministers strong and powerful. Um, and he, as he reflects on some of the tragedies of um, living through a war, um, I chat a lot with an old man from our church who, who's been through war, and he's like, it is ugly. Uh, so here's a man who's reflecting on his world, and he's reflecting on war, and he's reflecting on what was happening around him. And he says, if we, if we have never sought, uh, we seek you now. Um, your eyes burn through the dark, our eyes only stars. We must have sight of thorn pricks on your brow. We must have you, O Jesus of scars. The heavens frighten us, they are too calm. In all the universe we have no place. Our wounds are hurting us, where's the balm? Lord Jesus, your scars, we, we claim your grace. If when the doors are shut, you draw near, only reveal those hands, that side of yours. We know today that what wounds are, have no fear. Show us your scars. We know the countersign. The other gods were strong, but you were weak. They rode, but you stumbled to a throne. But to our wounds, our, but to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but you alone. What a power. Powerful thing. What a powerful picture um, of this God uh, who knows what it is.
to be wounded. That is God for me. Uh, in a world of pain and suffering and frustration, this is the kind of God we should be bow before and say, worthy are you, because uh, only you alone can bring about God's plan to transform our world for the good. Amen. I'm going to pray for us and that God will help us even as we go home uh, and continue to study that, um, um, those two passages um, that he would uh, just encourage us uh, wherever we may be, um, that he is this kind of God. Father, we thank you so much uh, for this uh, picture of um, um, the lion uh, who, is, who rules, uh, but yet another picture of a lamb who's slain. Um, just the, the beauties and the, the mysteries of your kingdom that's so upside down, uh, that says the way to power and the way to greatness is through sacrifice. And so, Lord, we thank you that you, you showed us on that cross what it means to be human. Um, and I do pray that we ourselves, like these Christians, would see ourselves as martyrs, as people who are here, not for ourselves, but for the sake of others, not for ourselves, but for the sake of God. Um, so I do pray that you would instill that in us, that we are priests here in this world um, to uh, take people and to usher them to you, uh, that we are priests here on earth, uh, to make this place a better place. So wherever you've placed us, Lord, with all of our frustrations, I pray that you'd give us such a, a great vision of your throne that we would seek to be um, people who transform our society. We would seek to be people who speak truth, even though it's not popular, uh, that we would choose to follow this king who suffered uh, and not our, our, our own desires. So I do pray, Father, for anybody who might be coming in uh, who are struggling uh, either with their own brokenness or just the frustrations of this world, uh, that this week, Lord, you just encourage them with this great picture of a slaughtered lamb, this great picture of God who's in control, who's on the throne, and that we would be encouraged. I pray for someone who's not a believer. May they turn to you, Lord, because um, no one else, no other God um, is like you. No other God has experienced um, the suffering of this world. No other God can help us make sense uh, of this world. Uh, I pray, Father, that they would tend to you uh, and trust in you as Lord and as King. I pray for all of us that we would live, live this week uh, with you as Lord and as King. Enable us because apart from you, we cannot do it. This we pray in your name and for our good. Amen and amen.